Let's turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24. Begin reading at verse 29. Read through the end of the chapter, 51, and our text this evening, verses 36 through 44, which I'll read only once. This places us on Tuesday of the Passion Week, the week in which Jesus suffered and died. And he was explaining to his disciples the signs of his coming and the end of the world. And we pick his narrative up towards the middle, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather to gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branches, when his branches yet tender, and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Now here begins our text for tonight. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Now that's the end of the passage tonight. But let's read the rest of it, because I'm going to do that during the sermon too. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat or food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So far we read God's holy inspired word.
Thanks to the janitor for two glasses of water. I'm going to need it. As I said, Jesus was teaching his disciples about his coming again and the end of the world. Jesus had spoken about the signs of his coming, things that would take place to indicate Jesus is preparing all things to make ready for his return. <coughs> he had spoken of the preaching of the gospel to all nations, wars and rumors of wars, catastrophes in nature, apostasy in the church, tribulation for the church that will culminate in the great tribulation of the Antichrist. And then he had spoken of events immediately preceding his coming. That's 29 and 30. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven just prior to his return. And then, when he does return, the next verse, he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. And in the next chapter, Jesus explains more in detail what's going to happen in that day of judgment. And then he gives a parable. When the parable of a fig tree when its branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So likewise, when ye shall see all these things, these signs, know that it, my return, is near, even at the door. And so now in the passage we consider tonight, Jesus instructs his disciples and the church of the New Testament, including us, to watch and be ready for his coming. Jesus says, no man knows the day or the hour of my return. Not even the angels of heaven know. However, he indicates in the passage we have before us tonight, his return will be sudden. And unexpected, at a time when people think not, even as the flood came upon the world in the days of Noah. And therefore he charges us to be in a constant state of readiness and watchfulness. And that's where the practical application of this passage becomes very real. No man knows the day or the hour but it will come at a time when ye think not. Be in a constant state of watchfulness and be ready constantly. Not ready 10 years from now. Now. Every day. Now. And that implies a certain kind of life that we are to live. I call your attention to the theme here. There's this passage under the theme, Watch and be ready. Let's notice, first of all, an unknown time. Secondly, an unexpected timing. 
And finally, an important warning. But of that day and hour, verse 36, knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Of that day. That day is the day of the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of Man, just mentioned in the previous verses. On the basis of His perfect sacrifice for sin on the cross, Jesus has been exalted to heaven, seated at God's right hand to rule all things. And He's going to return one day from heaven in all His power and glory to bring His church to her final glory. <coughs> this will be a great, great day of salvation for the church, but for the world, a total, total disaster. And no one knows the day nor the hour of that coming. No man does, no matter how well-versed in Scripture, no matter how much experience he's had in life, no man knows the day nor the hour. Jesus says, not even the angels of heaven know. Now, the angels have a very, very close relationship to God, closer than we do at this point. According to Matthew 18, verse 10, they always behold the face of the Father in heaven, something we don't do. Nevertheless, at that point in history, let me say this, that the angels <coughs> will even be directly involved in the events of Christ's return. Verse 31, And he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four corners of the winds and from one end of heaven to the other. But even the angels at this point in history did not know the day, nor the hour. And neither did Christ himself. According to Mark 13, verse 32, we read, But the day of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father only. Now, of course, according to his divine nature, because Jesus is both divine and human, he knew the day of his return. But according to his human nature, even though he is the person of the Son of God, he did not know at that point when he was going to come back. <coughs> now, that's astounding. And that gets us into a great mystery. The mystery between the connection of the divine nature and the human nature, things that we're not privy to, things that we may never know. But according to his human nature, Jesus at this point did not know the day nor the hour of his coming in judgment. Now, after his exaltation into heaven, he certainly does. Because now he is busy controlling all things, so that we see the signs of His coming. That's basically the things that are the signs of His coming are basically the work of Jesus making everything ready for His return. He's busy. He knows the exact time. But at that point, He did not. 
And that serves, again, to illustrate that God has not revealed the fullness of His counsel concerning the future. What is God's counsel? The Bible speaks of it often. Some like to call it God's plan, but its biblical term is His counsel. It's the eternal good pleasure of God, according to which He has predetermined everything that shall ever exist or take place. Nothing happens by chance. God has His hand in everything, and He has eternally predetermined it. According to Ephesians 1, verse 11, God worketh all things. God worketh all things according to the counsel of His will. And that great counsel of God has a goal. And the goal of God's eternal counsel is this, to save His church in Jesus Christ for the glory of His name. And all the details of God's counsel, which includes every detail of, of, of history, are all fitly joined together in God's great wisdom to bring about in the best way His glorious purpose. Save the church. Glorify His people through the glory of His name. And God has revealed many things to us in Scripture that we need to know for our salvation. The Belgian Confession, Article 7, says the Holy Scriptures contain the will of God and that whatsoever men ought to believe unto salvation is sufficiently taught therein. Everything that you and I need to know for salvation is here. And that's verified then by 2 Timothy 3, verses 15 through 17. The Scriptures are able to make us wise unto salvation. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect or complete, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. But there are many things concerning His counsel and the future that God has chosen not to reveal. For example, He doesn't reveal to us who the elect are and who the reprobate are. When we are in the workaday world and we're running elbows with everybody, we don't know, not ultimately. There are many deal, details of biblical history that we don't know. And we were curious about it, and we like to talk about it and discuss it. And sometimes I think we're, we're wasting our time, but he hasn't chosen to reveal it to us. The day of your death. He hasn't told you that. Nor has he told us the hour of Christ's coming and the end of the world. He has chosen not to reveal these things to us because He's determined in His wisdom either that we don't need to know these things or that it's better we don't know. It's better we don't know. That's the day of our death. Better we don't know. And that's also true with the exact time of Christ's coming. It's better that we don't know. And we must not speculate 
and try to pry into the secret things of God. Now I'm going to, my voice is not so good tonight, so I'm going to skip things here and there just to get through. And if it's any consolation, it's not going to be a real long sermon. I know that's a consolation to some. Second point, an unexpected timing. Notice how Jesus compares the day of his return to the flood in Noah's day. As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Or as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Let's go back to Noah's day. We read in Genesis chapter 5, 6, verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. That was 120 years before he destroyed that first world. The wickedness of man was great in the earth. And Jesus gives us insight into what this wickedness was. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Now, as such, those things are not sinful. Those are good and wholesome things of themselves. Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. But if that's what characterizes a society, we're talking about a society that's pleasure-mad, hedonistic. They lived to satisfy their sinful pleasures and cravings. And when that characterizes a group or a society, then all the wickedness that's in man's sinful nature comes out. So that all the good gifts of God are used sinfully. Drunkenness, adultery, immorality of every kind, growing. And this is what happens. Sin of every kind abounded before the flood. So much so that the world was just about ready to swallow up the church. There were only eight people left in the church at the time of the flood. And so God determined to destroy the world of that day and instructed Noah to build a large ark or ship to save alive the church and the animal world. And so Noah and his sons, I'm sure hiring others, spent 120 years building that humongous structure. I don't know if you've ever been to the Ark Encounter down in Kentucky. Um, I've been there once with my wife. We have to be careful with that, but 
the advantage of something like that is to demonstrate that the biblical account of a ship large enough to save alive the animal world is not just some impossible legend. It demonstrates how it could easily have been done. That's the value of that encounter, the ark encounter. But they built this ark, and at the time, all the time, 120 years, Noah was preaching righteousness, warning the people, there's coming a flood. That's why I'm building this structure. I'm sure he was the laughingstock of the whole community. What you doing? What you doing? No, I'm building this boat. Well, what for? They didn't even know what rain was. Everything was watered by dew in the morning. But he warned them. He warned them. And in spite of Noah's warnings, the people continued to eat and to drink right up to the time of the flood. And we read, they knew not until the flood came and took them all away. They knew not. Even though seven days prior to this, God starts sending animals into that ark. Two by two, sevens of clean animals. Whoever heard of something like that? That didn't even draw their attention, didn't bat an eye at that. They were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, enjoying themselves in sin and their unbelief. And the flood came, took them completely by surprise, and swept them all away into destruction. So shall the coming of the Son of Man be. The Bible views Noah's, the flood of Noah's day to be a type or picture of the end of the world at the day of the Lord's coming. In keeping with that, Jesus says history is going to repeat itself. Society, generally, towards the very end, will be given over to pleasure, filling the cup of iniquity, of a phrase of the Bible indicating that Sin is becoming so bad and so full that God's cup <coughs> that he has for them is full. And that certainly describes our society, doesn't it? We live in a pleasure-mad society. And as man keeps on seeking pleasure and more pleasure, we live in a materialistic society. Everything is determined by how much you have and how much you can enjoy physically, materially. With that comes a breakdown in marriage. As man and woman no longer want to restrain themselves for the sake of marriage. And with that comes the breakup of the family. And then homosexuality, and homosexual marriage, and gender change, and our society is falling apart. And society 
And that's God's judgment, of course. Furthermore, society will ignore the obvious fact that there is the coming a day of judgment. Noah preached judgment and warned the people in his day. And if you do some math, taking into consideration the length of, of man's life before the flood and, and go to the chronology, there were millions upon millions of people at the day of Noah. And he, he's a lone voice, almost, warning. That's not true anymore. The church is throughout the world. And she's warning, warning the world. Judgment's coming. There's a day of judgment. Turn from your sin. Turn unto God. Save yourself from this untoward generation. As Peter told his countrymen at the day of Pentecost, <coughs> excuse me, and those words of warning from the church are being confirmed by the signs of Christ's coming. Things are happening that speak of God's judgment. Disease. It was in the mid-80s that AIDS became a monstrous problem as the result of sexual immorality, especially in the homosexual community, but not limited to that. Now, with medication, they've got that almost under control. But it was God's judgment, obviously, upon a sinful Society given to immorality. But would the world listen? If you stood up on a soapbox in those days or even today and say AIDS is preventable, AIDS is the result of immorality, AIDS is God's judgment, you'd be shut down, shouted out. They won't listen. The same thing is with the terrible breakdown of our society. That's God's judgment. Upon divorce, remarriage, the destruction of the family. The world is trying every which way to try to remedy that. The school system is going to handle that. Psychology is, you go and preach and say, look, it's because of the sin of divorce and the failure of marriage to honor marriage and the breakdown of your family. They'll shout you down. They won't hear it. Besides that, there's wars, rumors of wars. And the rumors of wars are much more prevalent today because of mass media. And terrible things are happening in Gaza the Near East, in Ukraine. Catastrophes in nature. They all speak of God's judgment, confirming what the church is telling the world. There's going to be a day of judgment, but the world ignores it, and they'll ignore it to the very end, so that when the Lord comes, the world will know not be taken completely by surprise and swept into destruction. And Jesus illustrates the suddenness 
of His coming. In verses 40 and 41, listen. Then shall two be in the field, and the one shall be taken, and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, and one shall be taken, and the other left. Now that verse is misused to uh, point to a rapture. And this is the teaching of premillennialism. That's a lot of your Bible churches, Baptist churches. They, they, they look ahead to a, a, a thousand-year reign of Christ in Jerusalem. He's going to restore the covenant of God with the Jews and include the Gentile church. But before that, there's going to be seven years before that, before he comes, there's going to be a rapture. And it's not going to be visible. All of a sudden, the church will be taken off the face of the earth. The living will be taken off the face of the earth, two in the field, one will be taken, two grinding, one taken, and there will be the resurrection of the, of, of the righteous. To be with Christ seven years, uh, to be in Christ with heaven and, and the heavens, and then there'll be seven years of tribulation for the Jews, and then Christ will return visibly with the holy angels, his church, and then he will set up his reign with the Jews, and the church has a place in it for a thousand years. And this is a, one of the verses they use. But Jesus isn't talking about something. A thousand seven years before the end of the world. He's talking about the end of the world here. A coming, his coming in judgment at the end of the world. And Jesus describes two situations. Two men are working in the field. One is taken, the other is left. Two women are grinding at the mill. One is taken and the other left. Now, this is for grinding, uh, grinding grain. They had a, a two-foot stone, round cylinder, about six inches thick. Two of them, one on top of the other. The bottom one was fixed. And two women, it was usually the work of women, the lowest of the slave class, would turn that thing and turn it and grind the meal. Okay, one is going to be taken and the other left. The meaning of both examples is the same. People working side by side in their daily labors. And then, go back to verse 31. At the very end, Jesus shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of the earth to the other. As life is continuing, working, grinding, working in the field, the trumpet will sound and the angels will come and whisk away the elect for the judgment. One will be left, the other whisked away. And if you go to the next chapter about the judgment, Jesus is not dealing with a mixed group. The sheep are on one side, the goats on the other. His people are separated from the ungodly. This is what's happening. This is what Jesus is talking about. 
the separation between the, the righteous and him and the wicked who will fall into, into destruction. Suddenly, disrupting the main course of life. That's what's going to happen. Now, important warning. Verses 42 and 44. Watch, therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. And then, verse 44. We'll get 43 later on. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Watch. Be ready. Those go together, don't it? To watch means to be alert. Keep your eyes open, lest disaster come upon you. Pay attention. And then be ready. Watch, and then make yourself ready. So that whatever is coming is not a disaster, but you survive it. And that's what we are to do with respect to the day of the Lord. Watch and be ready. Verse 42, watch therefore, for ye know not at what hour your Lord doth come. My Lord and your Lord. Addressing us here as the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. He went and died, paid the ransom price to free us from the ownership of Satan. And he bought us. And now he's our Lord. And we're his servants. And he's given us work to do. Good work. Work that is wonderful. And he calls us, serve me. In love. But I have things for you to do. Each of us has work as the servants of Jesus, our Lord. And that work changes throughout your life. You know, young people and children, your work primarily is to learn from schooling and from your parents and the church uh, how to serve the Lord as adults. Prepare yourself. Then in marriage, he gives you a partner, or he doesn't. He has you to serve him in single life or as husband or wife. Serve me. And he gives you children. Now, serve me by raising those children. And then your children grow, grow, out, grow up and they're out of the house, and you're a grandpa, you're a grandma, or you're a widow, a widower. It changes. But always... Jesus is our Lord, calling us, giving us work to do in the service of his name, in love, in the power of his death and resurrection. And there comes a day of reckoning. When he comes again, there will be a day of reckoning where we have to give an account unto the Lord. What have you done? I gave you this, I gave you that. I placed this before you. What have you done? What have you done? And he will reward us according to his works. That's a phrase that is repeated throughout Scripture. He will reward everyone 
according as his work shall be. And so we must watch and be ready. We must watch and be careful so that this day does not become a day of calamity. We must, in a spirit of carefulness, prepared so that that day is a day of blessing and honor. Now, what does it mean to be ready? That's the last part of this chapter. Listen to this. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his house to give them meat in due season? All right, I've set you up. I'm your Lord. I've given you rule. Now I want you to take care of your fellow servants. Give them food. Blessed is that servant whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. There's a day of reckoning. The, 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 the servant was, was faithful. Blessed is that servant. Verily I say unto you that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what does it mean to be ready for the Lord? To be busy. To be busy in the work He's given you to do as your Lord. To be busy serving Him. Then you're ready for Him. And the point of Jesus is that we must be in a constant state of readiness. Jesus makes that clear again when in verse 43 he says, But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what hour watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered or allowed his house to be broken up. There were four watches in the night, three hours apiece, from six in the, mor in the evening till six in the morning. He didn't know what watch a thief might come. The idea is, well, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. We've gone through the first, second, and third watch. He wouldn't come now. But he didn't watch. The, third, the fourth watch wasn't there, and the thief came and broke up his house. The man should have been in a constant state of watchfulness, and readiness. But he wasn't. And so the thief came at a time when he wasn't really going to think, he didn't think he was going to come, at a time he thought not, and his house was broken up into. So also with the coming of the Son of Man. We don't know when the Lord's going to come. We're told that He's going to come at a time when we think not. Now that's true for the world, as it was in the days of Noah. 
the judgment of God came at a time that they thought not. And so also is it going to come in the day of the Lord, the ungodly world, will be so busy eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, indulging themselves in pleasure, that the Lord will come at a time when they think not. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 2 says, when they shall say peace and safety, this is the world, they shall say peace and safety, then suddenly destruction cometh upon them as a woman in travail, in labor, and they cannot escape. But the language of Jesus seems to suggest that in a certain sense that's also going to come for the faithful. Be therefore, be, there, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Even the faithful who are watching and ready, serving the Lord faithfully, looking for his coming, are going to be surprised. Oh, now? We didn't think now. That means we must be in a constant state of readiness. But you say, we aren't with that group that says Jesus could come at any time. He could come tonight because we know we've been taught that there are certain things that must happen. The Antichrist has to come. There's the great tribulation. And that has to come, which almost wipes the church off the face of the earth. And we're not there. We, we can see things coming in that direction, but we're not there yet. So, so what's the urgency? Being watchful and ready, serving the Lord faithfully. That's the response of a fool. That's the response of unbelief. I haven't taught school, but I went to school enough. And I know that when, in this one class in high school, we didn't know what day a quiz was coming. An important quiz. We had to be ready every day. And we were. But if we were told, it's not till next Thursday. Well, we don't have to be ready today <laughs> or tomorrow. Maybe, maybe next Wednesday we can get her, get her together. And if you waited that long, you weren't going to be ready. You weren't going to be ready. You didn't know when the quiz was going to be. If you were a serious student, you'd be ready. Well, that's the way it is with Christ's return, too. If we knew the day or the hour, well, we got time yet. We got time. That's the wisdom of the world. Now, it is true. The warning here, watch and be ready. For you don't not know the time that the Lord will return isn't to suggest that there are some of God's people who will be slothful. 
and will lose their salvation in the day of the Lord's return. The Lord won't let that happen. He won't. But let me put it this way. You take a casual attitude towards the coming of Christ and the power of sin is going to take hold of you more and more and more. Now, if you're not one of God's elect for whom Christ gave his life, that's going to continue. And the power of sin is going to take such a hold of you that you're going to be taken completely surprised by the day of the Lord's return. Or the day of your death. Not all of us are going to make it to the day of the Lord's return. But let me tell you about a man in another church I had. When I got there, he had been excommunicated for adultery, for drunkenness, for lying and deceit. He told me later on, he says, they all go together. They all go together. And I remember he came into my study. And no one trusted him because, because he... he, he he, he was a conniver. He was a manipulator. No one trusted him. But I gave him to see his plight on family visitation. He didn't have to be there, but he was. And at the end, in desperation, he says, Help me! Help me! Help me! I'm going to hell! Help me! Well, the Lord was working in him, but he was such so under the control and the power of sin that he found it impossible to break away from it. By the grace of God, he did. And he was restored to the church. That was the only instant where I read the form for readmittance. It doesn't happen very often. And we rejoiced. He's an old man now. He's partly debilitated with a stroke. I met him at Myers several months ago. He's so happy. So happy. But the Lord brought him. Well, Paul says, give a person over to Satan who will not repent. Well, he was given over to Satan. And you don't want that. You don't want that. That is a horrible, horrible thing. And so the Lord warns us and that warning to be in a constant state of readiness is necessary so that we are constantly looking, watching, ready for the Lord and serving Him. May God lead us in that way. Amen. Father in heaven, thanks for thy word. Lord, we don't know when the Lord is going to come, when Jesus is coming, but we know the signs of his coming. Lord, give us to be watchful, to be ready. 
and to look for his return as faithful servants. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.